0: Well, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show, Mr. Chris Fisher. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you, Alex. I just got done drying everything off only a few moments ago. We missed you, man. So uh, it's story time. I need to stay a while and listen. Yes. And first of all, thank you to Morgan for filling in. I, at the last minute, had to jump out when um, I realized that my laptop had got soaked and I didn't want to turn it on. And so I told Alex, you got to find somebody to fill in for me. All right. So I was setting up to go camp out in the woods. Brief story. And I wanted to get out to the woods and get set up in time for the show. And so I was in a bit of a rush. And I thought, because I'm an idiot, I thought, hey, you know, what would be a great idea is I'll do some updates on this laptop. And I've got this really old 2013 MacBook that runs Arch Linux, by the way. And so it's for me, it's like this thrill to boot it up about once every six months. And see if when I do an update, if the installation explodes or not. Right. So I thought, well, I'm running around packing up the RV. I'll set this thing to do some updates just so I can, you know, have like a little thing to do for my ADD brain and check in on it. And so I'm packing up and I go around and I collect all of my electronics because I my kids and I had been going through some stuff. And so we had the fire tablets were down off the wall that we used to control home assistant, our front end. And some game controllers were out, and we're going down the road, and we want to get there quick. So I just took this basket, and like a good little boy, I picked up everything and put it in my basket. Now, of course, I don't want that basket to spill, so I, I set it in the back in the bathroom and uh, finished up my laptop and closed the lid and went about packing up the rest of the RV. I'm driving down the road for probably 20, 25 minutes, and I realized I should probably get gas because I'm going to be off. Grid for a while, and if for some reason we don't get good solar, I'm gonna to need to be able to run my generator. So I I I pull up to a gas station and I, I start to pull in, which is a downhill kind of turn in. And as I pull into the gas station and begin to decline down into the parking lot, I hear like like a wave sound behind me. Like I'm like, is there a noisemaker on? And I I turn around and look over my shoulder, Alex, and I see this wave of water coming down the middle of the hallway of my RV sloshes down into the into the into the step well. It's all over the place. It's coming down into my feet while I'm driving. It was everywhere. How tight did your asshole pucker when you saw that? <laughs> Alex in like one motion, I like grabbed the radio and I radio to my wife cuz she's chasing me in the car behind there. You got to get in here quick. We got an emergency. I throw the radio down. I park the RV, stand up and I began just walking straight to the back and as I approach the back of the RV, I hear A sound I immediately recognize. It's my water pump and it's pumping and it's pumping and it's pumping. It shouldn't be on. But in our rush to leave, I had left it on and didn't notice. And so I flip it off as I open the door and I look right at the sink where I I just instinctively knew the problem was going to be. Somehow I knew. And I could immediately see the entire chain of events. I had left that big old heavy MacBook on the counter, and when I went down the road, it slid down the counter, slid just right, and fell into the sink, and as it fell, it turned the faucet on, which is where my basket full of electronics was sitting. Oh, no. Alex, it turned into a bathtub. Alex, it was... It was so bad, Alex. It it soaked everything and then proceeded to spill out from there into the rest of the RV at about about 17, 17, 15, 20 gallons-ish. It's hard to say. Yeah. Got the laptop, got all the fire tablets, got the game controllers, got all the charging bricks, everything. Not to mention flooded the RV. I, I, I... I had to act quick, and so thankfully I was able to position the RV in such a way that it kind of tilted it so I could just get all the water to pour out into one direction. And then I just spent like two hours drying it up, and then we moved out to our spot in the woods and then spent another couple of hours trying to dry it all out. I lost a lot of devices. A lot of good devices died that day, Alex. Uh. But not that stupid old MacBook. It's still kicking. Even though it got water in the event in the vents and all of that, it's still kicking. So the device that caused the problem just ran away going, Tee, not today. It's doing great. Yep. <laughs> Although its power adapter bit the dust, so I don't know exactly what its long term plan was. That's like cutting your nose off to spite your face, isn't it? That's why you should plan and plan to learn. Visit our sponsor, Cloud Guru, the leader in learning for the Cloud Linux and other modern tech skills. Hundreds of courses and thousands of hands-on labs. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. You
1: know, that story just hurts me so deeply because water and electronics, you just have this pathological thing that they don't go, they they just don't mix. Like, no, I've probably missed out on several experiences in my life because I had a phone in my pocket. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go and (laughs) run in the
0: ocean or whatever it is because I've got a phone in my pocket. And And so many devices, obvious statement time, but I really was feeling this. So many devices have the battery built in. And so there's just nothing I can do. Yeah. Damn, man. I feel your pain. I really do. (sighs) Yeah. It was rough. It was rough. And so now I have to selectively choose what I'm going to replace and what I'm just going to try to live without. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And you just missed Prime Day. I know. That crossed my mind because I I had a couple of Fire tablets in the mix. Gone. Womp womp. (laughs) All right, so you got something to cheer me up?
1: Well, I was watching uh, YouTube the other day, as is often the case in in my household, and I was watching a video by Techno Tim, and he did uh, an Orthalia introduction. This is a single sign-on uh, service that basically allows you to have one login cookie get set, which then allows you to log into all of the services that you select through a set of rules that you configure to say, right, if I want to access um, Nextcloud. As long as I've got this token set, then I'm, I'm all good. And then uh, you could do it for a wiki or any of, any of the services that are running on your system. And the really nice thing is, it, is it's configured with a single line of Docker Compose configuration. So you just add a, a single line to declare that you want to use Orthalia as what's called a piece of middleware in the traffic configuration.
0: Um, and you're good to go, and that's it. I see. So it is, first of all, we should mention it's open source. And it essentially takes authentication requests using NGINX and provides the authorization for those authentication requests. Yeah,
1: not just NGINX. It supports traffic as well as a bunch of others. And uh, it actually,
0: more recently, uh, supports Kubernetes
1: ingress controllers, which is nice
0: as well. All right, I'm checking it out right now. And it actually looks like it has a pretty good interface, too. So this will have linked in the show notes. Or you can go to A-U-T-H-E-L
1: ia.com. Yeah, you don't really need a whole bunch of interface for a, a login client. Essentially, what happens when you have a service that's backed by this? Uh, let's say I go to Wiki, my my personal Wiki, my tiddly wiki Traffic will detect that I've set that piece of middleware as part of the chain of traffic that it it wants to go through, and so orthalia will then pop up a, a standard web form. I'll type in my username and password. It does support two factor authentication, so free even for services that don't have two FA natively. I can use Orthalia to add 2FA to those services as well. And then just transparently, uh, that token lasts for the length and duration of your session. You can figure how long it is. I think it's five minutes by default. Any other service that has the same rule on your system, it will reuse that authentication token. So if you're switching between a bunch of different services on your system, log in once and you're logged into all of them all at once
0: automatically. Boy, that does seem nice. It has a lot of great features in here. All right. Well, it sounds like something to check out. We talk about this kind of stuff also uh, when we talk about things like hosting your own password manager or hosting your own email. I wonder if there's an audience, and I wonder if you out there too. I wonder if there's a portion of the audience that thinks I'd never want to host this. This crosses a line. Like this is this is like this breaks and things get hosed. And so I I wonder if there isn't a, a discussion to be had there, Alex, about where that line is for us and if we ever consider dropping something and saying, you know what, I'll just go with a commercial service for this. Is this grumpy old man, Alex, coming out here? But uh, my
1: tolerance for stuff breaking, be it an update, be it a dodgy power cable, whatever the reason, my tolerance is so low these days. And uh, a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned I had my server on the desk next to me because I was troubleshooting some issues with hard drives failing. Uh, turns out it wasn't the hard drives failing, and I wasted maybe three weeks on trying all sorts of different drives and cables and disc controllers. No, it was the power cable. From the power supply to the drives. No kidding. I wasted three weeks on that damn thing. And uh, that just left me with a huge bitter taste in my mouth. And, you know, I'm not going to stop self-hosting. Don't, don't worry, audience. We're okay. <laughs> but uh, there were just moments in that three-week period, I was like, screw this. I just want to throw
0: the towel in and just be done and just pay Netflix or whoever it is. Wow. You know, in that same period of time, I think you also had a certain Home Assistant update not go so well, too. So you were really getting it from both ends. Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, this week, uh, another example is uh,
1: NextCloud just stopped working for some reason. I have no idea why. I've been sat on NextCloud 19 for the last year plus. I haven't touched it. I... I pull in the regular updates that they provide to the 19 branch through Docker Hub tagging. But I don't update major versions on NextCloud unless I have a good reason to, because I don't want all of the new stuff. Uh, I I just use it for documents. That's pretty much it. Right. I actually figured this out because I got a notification on my phone because photo upload had stopped working. It said, this server is in maintenance mode. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I remember. I've had this before. So you, you Google it. First result says go into the config file and edit a single line that says change maintenance mode from true to false in the config.php file. Uh, so I did that. Was already set to maintenance mode false. So I'm like, okay, well, clearly something's going on here. So I then start looking into the next cloud container logs, and then it said something about uh, character encoding UTF8 char sets, and I. Just uh, at that point, I was like, "Oh no, here we go. This is going to be a long evening." Long story short, I ended up having to go into the MySQL container itself with a, a Docker exec command, get into the MySQL nitty gritty details, delete and change a couple of data types from varchar to text fields, and all this you know stuff that's way over the head of most people uh, that are doing self hosting, unless this is your day job. And I just thought to myself, who is this stuff targeted at? If I was paying for Nextcloud as a hosted service, I mean, these things exist, like Google Drive is mm, similar, OneDrive, you know, all these different cloud file repositories. If these things broke and I had to jump through all these different hoops to fix them, I would just migrate to a different service. And yet, because I feel a certain sense of obligation, partly because of this show, but also partly because of my beliefs towards self-hosting in general. I power through it, but sometimes I just I just want to throw the towel in, you know? Did you ever
0: get to the root of why that NextCloud issue just cropped up?
1: Um, I think it was because of the, the character encoding. So what I ended up doing as part of the troubleshooting process was like, right, okay, well, I'm in the weeds here. I may as well go to next cloud 22 whilst I'm here. Yeah, that's,
0: that would be my line of thinking too.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then I thought well, it, it didn't start because I thought, oh, some database schema changes have probably happened and it's just not tested properly on 19. Okay, fine. I'll go to the next major release Um, that's stable. Yeah, and so like I said to you, I had to drop to the MySQL command line delete a couple of tables that were failing the repair because there's an OCC command so you can you can log into the next cloud container and run there's like a shell like a a CLI um, tool built into it called OCC own cloud client I would imagine is what it stands for don't quote me on that uh, and you can do a bunch of maintenance stuff, like you can turn maintenance mode on and off, you can repair things, et cetera, et cetera. And it kept failing on this line item to do with news articles, which is a plugin I don't even use anymore. I think I enabled it for testing and then forgot about it. And uh, much like my Home Assistant update, I probably missed it in the logs because I don't necessarily look at the logs every day <laughs> because I've got other stuff to do. And uh, yeah, once I deleted the news once I'd gone into the correct database table and then deleted the three or four lines that were causing the schema migrations to fail, then the upgrade proceeded,
0: and it was all fine. but it took me a couple of hours. I've had those moments where I thought maybe like a server was dead and gone, and i thought i don't i don't know if i I don't know if I ever want to rebuild this mm-hmm. um and then thankfully I, I, they came back and then I thought, okay, I better get my backup game <laughs> I better get my backup figured out. Uh, Yeah, because, I mean, you really got it. I mean, you got a hardware failure in your server. You got a software failure in Nextcloud. A home assistant, uh, a pretty dramatic home assistant failure based on some deprecation and changes. I mean, you got it one after another. I recently also had a home assistant update go south when the OS update didn't complete correctly. The system locked up and then rebooted, and then it couldn't get an IP until I had fiddled with it for quite a while. And for a brief moment, I thought to myself, should I just bail on this and maybe just go back to a traditional server and Home Assistant core container and just keep it simple? Um, and then it gets working again, and then I think, okay, no, this is better, and I like this. And I think to myself, in the grand scheme of things, this is the cost of having full control over these services. And and it does give me a better appreciation of the value that the cloud providers are offering, and it makes me also understand how valuable my data must be if they can pay for these services based on mining my information. Like, wow, there must be some real value there because it's not cheap. And to keep something reliable like file services for, you know, a 10 year streak, uh, actually takes an incredible amount of effort. Yeah. You're not wrong. I mean, these,
1: these guys, they are entire jobs, you know, site reliability engineers. That's the name of our, you know, uh, supporters club that we have. And, uh, there's an entire job dedicated to keeping things up and stable and reliable. And these guys, they write software, they write scripts, they do all sorts of ninja magic to to keep these services
0: online. I think part of it, Alex, is giving yourself, and you've done this, you know, the ability to rebuild fairly quickly. Like, you do that. you make, you make, If you adopt something, you make sure that you can redeploy it as necessary. And those kinds of things, I think, they help a lot. But if, I, I think this show should ask the question more often, is there a cloud service that could do this? And if there is, why are we not choosing to use it? Because it is a big trade-off every time. And the more critical the service is to you, I think the more serious you have to consider that. I'm trying to think of a good example. I suppose wiki would
1: be a decent one because you can, you can probably throw some stuff up on GitHub in a, a, a random repository as a bunch of text files and uh, call that a wiki if you want to. Uh, you could also go to some random website as, and buy probably wiki capabilities, but there's nothing quite like hosting your own and keeping that kind of information in house because the the role a wiki in particular fulfills often is to store proprietary, you know, custom information. You know, maybe Wi-Fi passwords for your. House or something, or the the code to the safe, so that your wife can open it when you're out or something. I don't know uh, what people store in their you know
0: um, wikis, but there could be some sensitive information in there. Sounds like you have a code for a safe. That if I was ever on your land, I should try to get that code. Well, I've got to buy <laughs> the safe first. So uh. <laughs> I was like, he has a safe. Oh, okay. But it's a good example. You're right. I have been thinking like, how could I leave my wife notes in a way that is fully secure and. There is this feeling that I think is actually pretty special, and it's this total feel of control. And I, I feel this when I am off-grid, and I'm generating my own power, and I've brought my own food, and I don't need anyone to do anything. I, I For for a brief moment, I feel like I'm truly in control. And I have that same sense when it comes to everything being offline in my RV, and, and being self-contained to the RV, and having... Having this gone through this project off grid, where I offloaded a bunch of services and got everything running locally, when when I get access to that stuff, it's it's like this, it's this feeling of confidence that we get so sparingly now. With with so many cloud services that are integrated with our mobile devices or integrated with commercial desktops, less and less consumers and and technology users have control. Less and less, they have less control than ever of modifying their devices, of controlling their devices or even determining who has access to their data or if it can be scanned or any of that. And so when we have these areas, we can actually exercise that control. We have to keep doing it or else it will go away. If there's no users of these self-hosted services and if there's no market demand for this control, eventually the developers and the companies that serve that niche will dry up. And so it's, like you have to always be looking like where can i exercise that control and where does it matter the most and that's kind of where i've come down on it it's like okay this information like secret stuff i want to give my wife that is always going to be on my land like i'm just never going to put it anywhere else and thankfully you know i've come up with a little system where it's just some markdown files it's really simple it's not it's not it's not a big effort to actually do it you are right
1: there are an increasing number of companies uh, doing stuff for this marketplace. You know, year, we, we talked about it last episode with Morgan, have announced uh, a native home assistant integration as part of their product line. You know, so these things are happening and you see uh, what's his name? Linus uh, Sebastian has just bought a new house and he's talking about how he's going to implement smart dampers in every room so he's not air conditioning every room and how there is lots of proprietary services that could do this stuff and how it's just all so overwhelming and I think that's largely what I'm feeling too. It's just a bit overwhelmed by the amount of stuff I could do. You know, it's yeah. not even necessarily just when stuff breaks. It's it's that feeling of once I put my daughter to bed or something in the evening of, okay, I've got a couple of hours before I go to sleep now. I don't want to just sit and veg and watch cartoons necessarily. I'll do that whilst I'm doing something else. But what out of my huge long list of ideas that I've got should I pick? And, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll just watch cartoons. <laughs>
0: You know, what I've been doing is like the really simple stuff. Uh, I went through my uh, Home Assistant dashboard and I made individual. I chose like individual icons for each entity. So each light bulb has like a unique light bulb icon. Really just slow kind of paced work while I was watching Rick and Morty. (laughs) You know, and so it's like not very high cognitive load, but I can sit there and fiddle with something. Uh, And then the other thing that I did recently it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, I don't need to build something complicated here. I could just get a couple of window fans off of Amazon that have manual controls, plug them into some smart plugs, and I could have some set to input and I could have some set to output. And then I could just set up automations to turn the smart plugs on and off. And it was one of those moments where I was like, I could just do something very simple for cooling and it would probably take me 35 minutes to set it all up. And I was so down in the weeds with all of these things. Like I could build a new virtualization backend and then I could set up individual host OSs and then put containers in there. Like I was going through this entire thing about how I wanted to rebuild all of the infrastructure. And then I thought, you know what else I could do is I could just spend 30 minutes doing this tonight and I'll spend 30 minutes doing that tomorrow. And over a couple of nights, I got it all done. If it works, it ain't stupid. Now, in case you haven't heard, we're getting together in Denver. I'm looking forward to this. And not only is Alex going to be there, but he's going to be our trivia master at the meetup. So you got to come just to say hi to Alex. Looking
1: forward to that. I've been working hard on the trivia questions. I promise you. There'll be a bunch of Linux questions. There'll be some, you know, general knowledge stuff. But there's also going to be some like older, more esoteric hardware questions as well. I've been having a real fun digging out some of these questions.
0: (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. So we'll have the meetup details. We have two meetups actually planned. Uh Alex is going to be at the Denver meetup, but there's also a Salt Lake City meetup on the books. Details are over at meetup.com/slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And then additionally, in Lady Jupes, my RV, I will have a live tracker. And if there and there will be more details. And if it works out, we'll do a little micro meetup. It could just be uh you know, just come by and say hi, and we'll have this uh, embedded web page that you'll be able to view over at ColonyTracker.live. That'll show you right where we are at. Uh, it's all in the works right now. Just in this last week, we got the backend set up for own tracks to record where I'm actually going to be at, and that's a pretty neat deal, Alex. How are you doing? That is that up on Linode or something? Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, naturally. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. In fact, we just we just decided to do uh, a dedicated. Uh, Lower-end Linode, because what we want to do is put a little website on there that has the details and stuff. And then OwnTracks itself is kind of like in multiple components. And so the recorder is a Docker image that you can deploy. And that's like a lightweight backend that stores the location data. And you can publish your location information to it in two different ways, either over HTTP or over MQTT. And then the recorder, as the name implies, records the information and then makes your location data Uh, available which is all completely under your control via a a various set of apis some of which can integrate directly into home assistant so you can actually use own tracks to provide home assistant with your real-time location which is a fantastic way to control automations and uh, one way that we use this uh, not with own tracks today but soon is when no one is at home if some of the lights which always happens get left on which never fails to get left on uh then if no one's home and, it's, and a certain amount of time has passed, the lights just automatically turn off. And that's just a simple way to use the automations. Um, or in the winter, if we're approaching and it's cold, the heating turns on. It's really simple stuff. That Stuff that we just don't want to even have to think about. And, uh, but the key is getting your location into Home Assistant. And OwnTracks can essentially be that source of information. I'm using it for a live embedded map on a web page. So that way you guys can find me and we can meet up. And I'll be running the own tracks client, which publishes that information to the recorder on my pixel. That's yeah, so cool that it uses MQTT to do that. Yeah, isn't it? It's clever. It seems like actually a great use of it because you could see how when you have maybe a loss of connectivity, it could queue up. And then when you connect, it can just transmit the the bits that were queued while you had no signal. It's, it's really smart. Perfect. It's exactly what it was designed for. Now, my
1: uh, favorite robot vacuum firmware valetudo had a big release uh, last month and i finally got around to updating it and installing it this week uh i'm a glutton for punishment aren't i there's lots of stuff breaking and i still go ahead and install these updates and uh guess what what <laughs> did it break well it, i mean no the updates went fine but there'd been some changes to how the uh, the vacuums get communicated with from home assistant they've deprecated the vacuum.send command which was what i used to say hey robot go you know uh hoover the bedroom or something um and they've deprecated it for an mqtt publish command so we're both using mqtt here in wildly different use cases but i just think that's so cool how it's the same technology
0: it is pretty neat and i just as a side note i i hate it when stuff like that gets deprecated like i think I think the whole Z-Wave stack that I'm using in Home Assistant has been deprecated, and I just don't want to reset up my Z-Wave network, and I don't know what that migration process is like, and I just don't want to deal with it. And that kind of goes back to your topic earlier. It's like it's working. It's just I don't, I don't want to break it. I don't want to have to do anything with it because it's just so part of my infrastructure now. It no longer feels like a separate system. It feels like it is part of my home, and I don't like messing with that stuff anymore.
1: And equally, because it is part of the house, the uptime needs to be as close to 100% as possible. Yeah, And then you have to balance that off against
0: applying updates because it's part of your house. You don't want to not update it for 10 years. I mean, some people would just say, if it's working, leave it, but... I keep it up to date because I feel like I want to be compatible with future technology and future functionality. I mentioned to you earlier, I was like, maybe I should rebuild the whole setup and I should base it on virtualization because the safety that a virtual machine gives me, that's that snapshot capability and that that holistic restoring of a system or or taking a copy of it and setting it on a shelf and saying, this is known good. That is so appealing to me and it feels like it gives me a safety net to what which seems like a risky proposition to keep updating all of these systems all the time. That's where I keep thinking maybe I got to rethink the way I'm doing stuff, and that's where I that's where I go down the rabbit hole and go, oh, it's too much. Not right now. Do you use a hypervisor at all for for anything? No, right now the systems built around these Raspberry Pis. There's not a lot of overhead there, so I'm just running containers on Ubuntu LTS on Pi four. But I would be willing to replace you know the two or three Raspberry Pis it takes to do this with one fairly low-energy x86 machine, and then I'd have sort of my 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 you know my, my choice of virtualizers at that point.
1: Well, good news for you. Proxmox have just had a big release. Version 7 was released on the 6th of July 2021, and it's based on Debian Bullseye, number 11. I'm sure most of you know this bit of trivia, but uh, those of you coming to the Denver meetup might want to pay attention. I might have given a question away there. Damn it.
0: <laughs> I love it! No, that's good. That's good, because if they're a listener, they get a heads up, and no
1: one else will know. Free trivia question coming your way. Which kids movie does Debian name its releases after? Maybe you'll know, maybe you won't. Uh, It's just the sort of thing you'll have to come to the meetup and find out about. All right. Now, what else is included in this release? They've got a bunch of new uh, versions of stuff. So ZFS is now 2.04, QEMU has been bumped to version 6, and the... There's a new kernel, 5.11. So it's it's really good to see that Proxmox are pushing the envelope here and updating lots of their core systems. The reason I say that in particular is because Debian has a bit of a reputation for being a bit old and crusty. And you look
0: at the versions of some of these packages, and they're not that far off what is shipping in Arch. Right? I mean, a 5.11 kernel is older than what's in Arch, but it's newer than what's in most LTS distros right now. And they've rolled out more recent ButterFS support, which I think is kind of a big deal. It's nice to see, essentially, ButterFS and ZFS get near parity support in Proxmox.
1: It absolutely is. And I think this this comes back to a point that uh, I hear quite frequently on Linux Unplugged, actually, is that we need to start taking ButterFS seriously and uh, stop just treating it as a bit of a joke. Because you know Facebook and all these other massive companies that have things at significant scale are putting a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into the ButterFS subsystems. And it does seem to be cropping up in more and more places. And, you know, for me, I'm actually starting to use Proxmox as my default distro, you know, for for server OSs because it has ZFS baked in, so I don't need to futz about with DKMS or an AUR package to install a, a custom kernel. I don't have to worry about the licensing. It's just taken care of. I mean... The same is true of Ubuntu, but the thing that Proxmox gives me most out of all of this other stuff is a really slick web UI to manage
0: virtual machines and LXC containers. Great point. And I think that is something that you and I probably underplay. I think for a lot of new users, that's like the biggest deal, (laughs) right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree on your points about ButterFS too. I think the thing that you have to remember is... What ButterFS offers is a file system that does copy-on-write, transparent compression, it can offer encryption, it can offer SSD trim support, and it's extremely low memory. So it works really good, say, like in a Raspberry Pi situation or in a laptop with a single SSD. Those are some use cases where ZFS is, is really not a great choice there. And, and I, I really love the combination of the two. I think it makes for a really reliable home server. And the way I use it now is ButterFS is on the root file system. So the system can boot regardless of what's going on with ZFS. If if your DKMS module fails to build for some weird reason, which has happened to me, your system still boots because the core system, the file system, is ButterFS. And then your really large data sets with your multiple disks that are in some sort of RAID configuration that's where i go zfs and that mounts almost every time the system reboots but if it doesn't because the root is butterfs it's guaranteed i can get in there and get the system repaired and we can then get in you know then get other things online like getting zfs to mount and perhaps the biggest feature that
1: we haven't touched on the single most important improvement in proxmox 7 i can
0: now download isos in the web UI. Hooray. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. So, so you give them a URL and it downloads it, or does that mean you can download it to your machine? Uh,
1: both. So what happens is you plug the URL into the, uh, the little form that says, I want to download it to this particular area of storage. And then at the bottom, this is a really nice feature, it has an optional box at the bottom for you to fill in the MD5 hash in there. So it will automatically verify the download for you as part of its automated process. Now a lot of people seem to think that Proxmox isn't free as in cost. Uh, it's it's open source so it's free as in speech and it is also free as in beer. Um, the, the reason I thought it wasn't free is because it has this little nag screen that says you do not have a valid subscription for this server and all that simply means is you have the enterprise repos enabled which are some air quotes better tested packages. I don't know quite what that testing entails but That's what the Proxmox team say anyway. Um, And so you can support the project and give them money and they will enable your server to get rid of that nag message. Or you could use automation. You could use, I've written an Ansible role, which several of our community have now contributed to as well because open source is just that awesome. And what that does is it goes in and removes the repos for you, changes a couple of lines in the uh, web UI files on the Proxmox system and removes the nag for you
0: automatically. Just one more use case for automation. And speaking of automation, we want to mention our friends over at a Cloud Guru have a course that we'll have linked in the show notes just for you. It's the Red Hat Certified Specialist in Advanced Automation and Ansible Best Practices. In this course, they're going to cover the topics on the EX447 exam as well to make sure you're ready to take that. If you're planning on expanding your Ansible knowledge, this is a great course for you. You'll have a better understanding of the topics on the exam, and around Ansible and Ansible Tower, and managing an Ansible inventory, and of course, templates as well. So you'll have to go over to our show notes to get the link to go directly to this course. That, of course, is over at selfhosted.show slash 49. You'll see the link for ACG, and that'll take you to the Red Hat Certified Specialist in Advanced Automation for Ansible Best Practices. Did you get the update to your shield yet? Alex, I am so, so disappointed in this. I loved the NVIDIA Shield so much. I've bought three of them in total. I've recommended them to the audience. And I know that some people out there have also noticed that NVIDIA has decided to improve your experience by taking the top row, which used to be reserved for your favorite applications, and now put full wide advertisements right there at the top, including folks in bondage. Folks doing all kinds of like crazy things, like, you know, guns and violence and smoking. Like, I've seen the whole range. Thankfully, you know, we're not really that kind of, uh, we, we don't really bother me that much. And it's in my bedroom. It's not like it's a, the family uses it all the time. But I really do not like the fact that I cannot turn it off. And, um, I think it's on my list to replace now, Alex. It's really disappointed. It's such a great device. Yeah. It's, it's been a really interesting
1: one to watch the, uh, kind of cancel culture online react to this one i mean on the one hand i don't really care that much um they've taken an interface that was very clean and just got the job done and didn't really have any cruft to it whatsoever and then as you say they've polluted it with a bunch of ads i mean that that on the one hand sounds pretty terrible but I, i mean on the on the other hand i don't i just don't find myself really caring all that much i uh I, I've been browsing the the subreddits, um, the NVIDIA Shield subreddit, for the last f- you know, few years. And there's lots of people now posting custom launchers that you can install on the NVIDIA Shield. I mean, it's just Android underneath, right? So y- you can install a custom launcher if you want to. And I think all this is going to serve to do is motivate those who do care about such things to release better quality third-party launchers rather than relying on the,
0: the Google-provided one. I think I'll probably just switch it to an Apple TV. I've, I have found that the Apple TVs perform even better than the NVIDIA Shield, which I felt like was pretty well performant. This is the exact kind of thing that will never happen on the Apple TV platform. And it, you know, it's been, the UI has been very consistent now for years. The other thing is it, it wakes and. It it controls the TV more consistently than the Nvidia Shield has too, so I think I'm just going to switch it out. I wanted to keep it because I like the idea of having both, and I really love Cody. You know, that's a big reason why I keep the Shield is I really love Cody. Mm-hmm. But Infuse on Apple TV it it replaces Cody. In fact, I, I actually have to say I think maybe Infuse is is probably better because it's just a newer app built with mo- more modern technologies, and they've just steadily added the features you need. It doesn't quite have the plug-in ecosystem that Cody does, but Infuse is a really great local file playback, play from your file shares, all that kind of stuff. And it syncs via iCloud to your other Apple TVs. So your settings, you set it up once and it's... Oh, and also, out of the box, supports syncing play status with Plex, and I can't remember if it does Jellyfin, but... It's, it's a really good app. And so it, it does the job that Cody does. And so I think it's just time to, I think I'm done with Android TV. I'm going to keep a couple Chromecasts around and that's going to be it. Well, if there's one thing we've learned from the internet, it's that adverts always make
1: everything better. I mean, YouTube's better because of all the ads. Uh, radio is better because of adverts, right? I mean, I, I struggle
0: to think of a single example where an advert makes things better. I think I wouldn't have even minded as much if it was only showing ads for services that I maybe have active logins for on the device. Yeah, but right, but it's showing me advertisements for services that I don't have and will never subscribe to, so that drives me crazy. And then I think the other thing is if it was at the bottom of the UI, if they hadn't if they hadn't taken the row of icons and lowered it, and so now you have to navigate down and, and go, that would have been better as well.
1: What do you make of the argument that the Nvidia Shield was a premium device? This this is quite a pervasive argument on Reddit that you know it's a two hundred dollar device, it's a premium device. I've chosen this over something like the Google Chromecast, you know the the new one with the remote that has this same UI, by the way. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that argument? Because to to me, I think I kind of agree with it. In in that, yeah, one of the reasons I paid for the Shield, I paid the extra money for two of them in this house was because it was so blazing fast and because I didn't have this stuff kind of rammed down my throat, you know, without without asking for it. Nvidia have just patched this thing for years and years and years and it's it's just been very reliable and and unlike you I'm I'm left feeling rather deflated about it.
0: Yeah, it feels like a play to get affiliate revenue for stream signups and it's like they have a user base out there they're not selling them as much anymore because they're not as competitive as they used to be and there's cheaper options out there. And I think the Apple TV is starting to eat up some of its market share as well, because I think other people have realized it's a better box as well. And so I think NVIDIA felt let's monetize what we've got here because they get some ongoing affiliate revenue from those subscriptions, depending on the deals they work out. That's too tempting, I think, for them to say no to. And I do agree that it is a premium device. It absolutely is. I think two hundred dollars is on the cheap end. I think if you buy the like I the first one I ever bought was the one with like the big hard drive and all that, and the controller. I want to say that was like $300 or something. I bought that box because Roku's and cheaper boxes had that kind of crap. It's one of the reasons I didn't get a Fire is because the Amazon Fire does this as well. It's rows of advertisement. And so I didn't buy an Amazon Fire. And so I didn't buy a Roku. I bought an NVIDIA Shield specifically because it didn't have this crap on it, right? And so... To have them retroactively add that, like, that wasn't the deal, bro. When I spent $300 on your kit, that's, this wasn't the deal. <laughs> I, I just hate it. And I, I think the custom launcher solution is not a bad one, and maybe one I will explore. But it's unfortunate. It's sort of like when people tell you to solve the problems with an Android phone by flashing a custom ROM on there. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, I know you can do that, but most consumers aren't going to do that. They're just not. On that note, Will actually wrote in, and that's why we're talking about
1: this, asking if he could put lineage on the shield. And I think that's a pretty interesting idea, actually. I I don't think it's supported today, but certainly moving forward, I could see a much more motivated community emerging around this kind of stuff now. I
0: tell you what, if a decent lineage image showed up for that thing, I'd try it. Yeah, me too. And I mean, even though I just said most people aren't going to, the vast majority of consumers who bought this won't. I'd still, I'd use it. Now, another option you've got is to replace the TV Launcher.APK via
1: TeamWin Recovery Project to one of the old versions of the launcher uh, that doesn't have ads on the home screen. You'll need to unlock your bootloader to do that, but it doesn't
0: require root or anything like that. Well, David from North Carolina wrote in, he said, I'd love to know a little more details around the solar panels that Alex recently had installed, especially since they seem to integrate with Home Assistant. I've been trying to convince my wife that it would be a worthwhile investment. Love the show and keep up the work. Thanks, David. And I think he's like extra excited because uh, he's uh, from your home state. Yeah, North Carolina. Hey, hey, David, how you doing? Is it called a home state now? I mean, your new home state?
1: <laughs> well, is it? I don't know. I've, I still refer to England as home, and I still watched England crash out of the Euros right. in the final. And I still wept like a small child when that happened. But you know. But you also have the first state that you called home. In the US. It's also the first state where I, it's the first place in the world where I had a child.
0: So, you know, there is that. So it's your home, I think it's like, as far as states go, it's your home state. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think? You got details for them? I've got a
1: few. Yeah, not, uh, I don't have, you know, specific model numbers or anything like that. But I went to a company called NC Solar Now. I I looked at Tesla and a a few others, but the NC Solar Now folks were the ones that uh, came out with the, you know, the best overall price and package and service and financing and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up going for a SolarEdge system. And this has a Home Assistant integration, which connects to the, uh, they've got this website and it will uh, connect through the API to the website for up to 15 times an hour, I think. It can pull the website through the API. And it was just a case of providing an API key. It took literally five minutes to set it up. I had to spend an extra few hundred dollars on the little Zigbee monitoring device to enable the um, inverter that's outside to talk to the internet, because by default it doesn't come with any Wi-Fi capabilities. But apart from that, you know, extra few hundred dollars to to get the monitoring capabilities. Um, yeah, it's been very straightforward to set it up. And not only does it talk to Home Assistant, but the SolarEdge company also provides A really nice dashboard and uh, a really pretty slick mobile app as well. So I've got little, a little widget on my uh, Android home screen that tells me exactly what my solar is doing right now, which is pretty cool. (laughs)
0: That's great. Yeah, I love that they're using Zigbee for that. Just the thing, Zigbee's all over the place here. Nate wrote into the show asking about security implications for sharing Ansible playbooks publicly. You know, he sees them on GitHub, all of that. He got thinking about this after he listened to an episode of the Darknet Diaries, and he wondered if you have any thoughts on it. Well, all of my stuff's open source on github.com slash ironicbadger
1: slash infra. You know, I have open sourced everything for years now. That's kind of my default policy. Uh, So I I sure hope there isn't a privacy implication of doing that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) answer. <laughs> yeah. I do encrypt everything using ansible vault, so all of my secrets and things like that are stuck behind AES 256 encryption. So hopefully unless I commit a secret directly in clear text, I think I'm okay.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, when I go through your GitHub, I just look at it and I think, you know, everything looks pretty good except for that passwords.txt file where you just put all your passwords in there.
1: Well, funny story on that. I actually published my Gmail password one time to that repo. Uh, and I had a guy, a listener in Australia <laughs> message me, at like, it must have been first thing in the morning for him, because it was just before I went to bed saying, hey, by the way, did you know that commit you pushed 12 minutes ago has your Gmail password in it? And I'm like, okay, first of all, thank you for letting me know. Secondly, uh, it was 12 minutes ago. Like, were you just waiting for me to push
0: something? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like He's got some sort of like alert. <laughs>
1: Uh, So to get round that, uh, Nick Busey from the HomeLab OS project uh, helped me out with a pre-commit hook that I have in my Git repo that just checks that my secrets file is encrypted before I push and do a Git commit and push. That's been very, very useful. It doesn't protect against me actually putting API keys and variables and stuff like that directly into other files, which, you know there comes a point where you've got to be like, right, okay, this, you know, my safety net is checking that file is encrypted or not. It's not going to go and scan every single file. Um, so yeah, I guess it's up to you whether you feel comfortable with that risk or not. And uh, I, I tend to think that even if you're using a private repo on GitHub, you may as well treat that as a public repository anyway, because one day it will be, whether you like it or not. So,
0: and it really just means, can you stick to like a good hygiene with that kind of stuff? If you'd like to get your question in or have a comment or something you think we should check out, let us know. Go over to selfhosted.show slash contact.
1: Now, I was browsing some... I always seem to come up with YouTube on these things, don't I? But anyway, uh, about steam trains the other week. And uh, I found this Union Pacific steam loco called the Big Boy. And this thing is freaking enormous. (laughs) And it was designed uh, in the early uh, part of last century to get over some of the rocky mountain passes because they're just so vast here and the the trains are so heavy and so Union Pacific have actually restored one of these big boy steam locos which is essentially two massive steam locos glued together this thing has basically two sets of drive wheels and two two full sets of pistons and it's, it's just awesome just go look it up big boy Union Pacific steam loco and it's going on tour in August around the the US. So it's it's leaving Cheyenne, Wyoming, and going all the way down to Houston, past uh, our beloved Cheese Bacon's hometown of Beaumont. I know he lives in Denver now, doesn't he? Okay, well, so much for that. You could say it's his original hometown, though. So much for that plug. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's going up to I think uh, through Dallas at some point, and then up through Kansas City and St. Louis. So if you're in the center of the country, by all means, go take some pictures for me because I'm not going to be able to make that one. But uh, throughout August, it's traversing the country.
0: That does look like an incredible route, actually. We'll have a link in the show notes. When you go there, they have a map that shows you the route that they're going to be on. Well, you know it's either side of our Denver meetup, don't you? So I I reckon if you were creative with your schedule, Chris, you could probably find it for a day. Our route for the Denver meetup in total is going to be just over 5,000 miles. That's
1: a long way. I, I drove that myself in 2018.
0: We flew into
1: Orlando, drove up to DC, drove down to Austin to meet you for the first time, and then uh, up to Denver, and that was about 5,000 miles. We did that in
0: three weeks in a car. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't our house. No, I'm going to be in a land yacht. Yeah, that's for sure. But if you're going to be in the area, don't forget that we have those meetups coming up, and you can get details at meetup.com slash Broadcasting. Make sure you don't miss the next
1: episode, episode 50. We've got some cool stuff lined up for you. And rumour has it there might
0: be some swag. Hmm. In the meantime, you can find Alex on Twitter. He is at Ironic Badger. I'm at Chris LES. And the show is at Self Hosted Show. And thanks for listening, everybody. That was selfhosted.show slash 49. Well, the used car market right now is completely gazeboed. It's crazy. It's, it's like, I've never seen anything like this. I think my RV might be worth more than it's ever been worth since I've bought it at this moment. I've been feeling the itch too. My, my Golf, I paid, I think, 42 off the
1: lot for it. And it's worth 39 now. And I've put 20,000 miles on the thing. It's two years old. <laughs> and I'm so tempted to sell it. But also I'm thinking, is this the last gasoline engine car I'm going to buy? Right. Should I hold on to it?
0: I don't know. I just can't decide. I've had that same exact thought process. I keep thinking, you know what? I think I I could drive this car if I had to. I think I could drive this car for 10 years. I don't think I'll have to, though. And I think my next one is going to be electric. But what happens in, let's say, 20 years' time, when
1: all the gas stations are now electric car charging points and VW don't even make, you know, the, the... I don't know, some, some esoteric cable that you need to fix the ECU that's gone bad. Cause these cars are all software now, you know, it's not going to be a mechanical failure
0: or the fuel pump or a fuel pump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's if you can even get the fuel Yeah, or the oil. I wonder too, I, and what, cause you know, me, I'm always thinking about the RV side of this too, right? The RV industry is going bonanzas. They've, they just had, they've had consecutively their best quarter for 11 quarters in a row, they uh, like Thor, which is the largest manufacturer of RVs in the country, is sold out for a year. The number of Americans that say they are thinking, considering, or planning to get an RV is at an all time high. It's nuts. The RV sales are going nuts. And you know what most of these engines are? Gas. And, and some, I'd say the median price is probably like $60,000, $100,000 for these rigs. People are going to want to be able to put gas in their $100,000. And some of these rigs are even more expensive rigs. They're going to want to put gas in there for quite a while. I don't, I don't wonder what happens. I look at all these cars and I just, people have been driving cars. I see, like the, my neighbor has a Honda. that's like an 83, you know, like people, people want to get a long time out of these vehicles. None of that's going
1: to matter though. If, if the government mandate you know, look at the EU. I know, I know America isn't Europe. I, I'm fully aware of that. But it just just look at what the EU are doing and saying, you know, all new cars sold, I think, from 2035 must be zero emissions and therefore either electric or hydrogen or whatever it turns out to be. The internal combustion engine is done. Like, it, we know, it's, it, compare it to Apple with the Intel transition and the Apple Silicon transition. There is a crossover period, in in Apple's case, of two years. And I think, you know, gasoline engine cars, maybe the crossover period is going to be 20, 30 years. But come 2050, you know, by the time my daughter's my age, I would be very surprised if anything other than, you know, like race horses. People don't keep horses to, to go to the shops in anymore. They keep them for pleasure be very surprised if any gasoline engine cars are kept
0: for anything other than classic race series or just hobbyists yeah and they'll they'll pay out the nose for gas and they'll use it they'll use a few gallons at a time yep i wonder too there's two things that strike me about that number 1 is that means all of our cars that are on the road today and there's a lot in the seattle area at least They go from energy producers to energy consumers, right? Because the combustion engine is producing energy. A electric vehicle is consuming energy to drive the motors, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of cars all of a sudden that are going to need charging. That's a lot of electricity usage. And I just, I wonder how that plays out. But then secondly, the gas station is like this iconic aspect of America. When you drive across the United States, there's gas stations. These little stations in some places they're they're like grocery stores and they and you know entire you know entire shopping centers in other areas. They're like these little. In some places, all there is is a gas station. Yeah, and they're little po dunk shop. You know, with you know some lady who's been running it for 45 years. I don't really see that surviving this transition either. I could see some transitioning to charging stations, the ones that offer a, a wider shopping experience. But I, I wonder about the smaller gas stations. And what do we do with all of those stores and spots and land? What, what happens to all those? What do we do with it? And all
1: those jobs. Yeah. You think about how many, how many jobs just an, a single, you know, truck or a car keeps going. You've got people doing, okay, so you're going to keep tire shops are going to be okay because we're going to need tires. Brake shops? No, because electric cars regen everything, and I've seen reports of Teslas going, you know, eighty thousand miles on a single pair of brake pads. What about all the people that change all the fluids in the cars? We're not going to need them.
0: The other aspect is a lot of these electric cars are only serviced by the manufacturer. Yes, you know they're not really designed to be serviced by by a shop, and that is tricky because I don't know if you just saw this recent uh, video from Rich Rebuilds about a really simple valve fix that actually kind of fixes it in a way that's better than the original manufacturer costs like, you know, nothing to do. But Tesla wanted to replace the entire battery pack for what was it? sixteen seventeen grand. Yeah. I think the fix was $700 and Tesla
1: quoted 16,000.
0: Yeah. And this is just a nozzle for the cooling, the coolant, which is like a, you know, a one or two PSI kind of pressure cooling system. And they want to just replace the entire battery pack. And that guy didn't have like that kind of money to burn. And so if you have third-party repair shops, they have alternatives. And I, I tell you what, man, there's a lot of times when I take a vehicle of mine in to get fixed, I prefer they fix it better than I brought it to them. That
1: argument does hold a little bit of water right now. Um, but things like right to repair are gaining traction through like Lewis Rossman and people like that are are championing people's right to own the hardware that they, they purchase, you know, farmers with their tractors and, and all the rest of it. But I remember hearing a similar argument about mandating that all cars had an OBD2 port put into them, that all these third-party repair shops are going to need a laptop to fix, you know, cars and trucks and what have you. And the world didn't end. It kept spinning. And these repair shops are still in business and things like that. So I think eventually the industry will adapt. And a lot of these mechanic shops will, I mean, some will go. Because, you know, you're not going to need an oil change every 5,000 miles, for example. All the jiffy lubes are going to disappear. Um, But I don't know. it's It's going to be challenging for probably the rest of my life, certainly, for a lot of these industries.
0: Yeah, we're going to watch a transition. We'll probably see it get pretty close. But there's so many different applications for combustion fuel that I bet diesel will outlast both of us. Diesel fuel will still be in use. Probably. Long be it beyond
1: when you and I are still in use. <laughs> what about stuff like people flying Cessnas and things like that that need right, you know, right? Not particularly high,
0: but they they need like race fuel for those engines. They're already paying out the nose, but they'll just they're just going to pay more.